Hello and welcome to this new edition of Mind Interview. In this Mind Interview, Professor Anjali Kanojia uh, will be interviewing author Ratul Chakraborty. Uh, do tune in and uh, let us know what you think about this interview. And please send us your feedback at info at mind.net. Okay, so welcome. We are in conversation here today with Ratul Chakraborty. So I do have your biography, Ratul, but I am actually going to um, please request that you tell us a bit about yourself in your own words, including the meaning of your name. Okay. So, hi. Uh, thanks for having me here. Um, I am Ratul. Uh, I have, uh, I, uh, I've written a book recently called Sutradhar. So, that's probably the reason why we are uh, talking. But okay. in my other in my other life, I actually work in video game development, and uh, that's where I have been uh, uh, working as uh, somebody uh, as a game designer in the video game space. So that's briefly about me, like very very briefly. Yes, and you like to do nature related things. You like um, animals. What else is on your? Um, um, how else would you okay. describe yourself before we jump into the interview? Okay. Okay. Um, so. Um, I really like uh, listening to Indian classical music. Okay. That's something that I have picked up uh, recently. Uh, uh, my, uh, like one of the things that I like to do is uh, listen to at least one raga every day, depends upon what time and all of that. Uh, currently uh, listening to, was listening to uh, Nikhil Banerjee playing Rag Malpons just before the, this uh, started. Um, I also like to do uh, street photography. I love, I love to travel within uh, within the country and uh, just photograph people, you know. And that actually uh, inspires me a lot. It's one of the most, uh, uh, I, I like studying faces and how people are in their natural habitats. And that inspires me a lot to craft stories. Because uh, when I see somebody in a particular place and, 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 and that person is a stranger, but just by the body language and the expression, I can start to imagine that, oh, this is probably his thing. And create these, uh, what can I say, uh, plot points that I might use later in some form or the other. So that's something I love to do. Um, I love history because, uh, you know, I strongly believe that only if you uh, understand your past, we have an idea of where we are at present and where we want to go in the future, right? So one of the things I love doing is uh, roam all across India and go to these really uh, out of the way historical places. Like, not the very tourist touristy ones, but the ones that people normally kind of avoid and all of that. And I love that vibe, you know, of uh, touching those uh, abandoned uh, places and kind of figuring out, okay, this is how people used to live there. And you see those, uh, uh, you know, remnants of the old um, with uh, elements of the eternal like the nature and all of that and then you see some uh, cigarette dabbas and everything which is okay this is the horrible present that we are living in and all of it in the same continuum that is sometimes very inspiring to me because then that tells me that okay I'm in this country which has got this entire path uh, past and it's like a continuous chain right it's it's an unbroken um, civilization that uh, we are the proud inheritors of. So that's something that really gets me going. Like that's 
that's probably what I look forward to most mm -hmm. uh, when I uh, like plan my year. That where are which are the places that I will be going. I see. So no, that is great. So that gives us a background of who you are as an author as we delve into other questions. And the, yeah. the other question is, what is the meaning of your name? Uh, it means red. Uh, red, as means, red. Yeah. Yeah, as okay. in the color red, yeah. Okay, okay, very interesting. Um, great. So here we have again, this is an interview for my end, mind makers, and we have author Ratul Chakraborty with us. What is the book about? So the title of the book, if you can explain the title to our listeners, especially yeah. um, some of the non-Indians who may come across your work. Yeah. Yeah. Sutradhar is basically a Sanskrit drama trope. A Sutradhar is a person who introduces the cast, is also, uh, you know, explains some of the narrative finer points to the story and is basically a link between the audience and the drama. Uh, a sutra there is also a puppeteer who is sutra means strings and dhar is a form of the sanskrit which is holding the strings the person who is holding the strings so the puppet movement is actually one is controlling so that is also one meaning of sutra dhar. but in the general sense uh, today sutra dhar has become somebody who is a narrator who is having the threads of the story in his or her hand and explaining it so that's where sutra dhar kind of comes in um, i look at myself as a storyteller and mm -hmm. that's why um, the book is about the stories that I want to tell, and that's why it is Sutradhar. Right, and that is uh, the sense that I got going through the book, as if you were trying to put uh, different pearls together in a string and kind of stringing that together in a way that made sense to you. So that is how that's, I saw the title of the book. Um, that's a very <laughs> wonderful way of putting it, and thank you. <laughs> yes, exactly. So sometimes it helps to get this outside perspective, right? Okay, um, great. So who is the primary audience and what kind of genre do you think you put this in? And again, this is kind of a, a question coming from looking at your other interviews or things that people have written about you. There's a historical fiction. Great. But how do you see this from your side, your angle? Yeah, so uh, the genre, like, like when I was sending this to different publishers, yes, I, I wrote it as Indic historical fiction because uh, it is, uh, um, I would kind of classify it as original uh, storytelling set in uh, historical canvas, mm -hmm. but the perspective of the storytelling is Indian. Like that is how I would like to kind of uh, explain it. And let me kind of uh, very briefly tell you what I'm talking about. So there has been a lot of stories set in, uh, you know, in Indian historical uh, canvas. Mm -hmm. But what I wanted to write was something uh, fully original, and I did not want to do a retelling of history. So I wanted to kind of create drama and uh, create these dramatic moments, which pushed for certain points of view that I personally have mm -hmm. that I find relevant in the modern context also. So these stories, like I will be uh, successful, like I will consider myself to be successful if somebody reads these stories and goes that, hmm, like this is a, this is set in like 2000 years ago, but this is broadly what my present world looks like too. And these are the conflicts that I'm seeing and this is one interesting perspective of looking at those conflicts, you know. Uh, that slight, uh, like I'm attempting to kind of create that slight uh, moment of disturbance in somebody's brain so that they are able to recognize their current world 
and try to look at uh, you know like how uh, like people in the past might have dealt with it mm -hmm. so so relatedly um so what so me as a social scientist whenever i'm reading or writing something i always ask so what why did the person even bother writing this right so th apparently there's something that needed to come out in some form or another so for you um why why write this and you did kind of address it just now but expand on it please so what yes yeah so there are three uh, layers that i kind of uh, look at my person like when i'm writing this right mm -hmm. one are the events that are happening right? mm -hmm. This is what is the actual like bare bones story point that is happening, right? Mm -hmm. um, how like like what is the ideology or the thought process that is driving these actions? Like what is compelling these characters to do these things and react how they are reacting, right? So mm -hmm. that's a second layer, right? And the third layer is what I uh, call the Bharat layer, which is like how is this story unique to India, like? I personally believe, and uh, this is something that uh, is born out of my travels across India and all of that, is that there is something, um, let me rephrase it in a certain way. I would say that um, the Indic way of looking at things is a universal way. There was this famous thing that, a famous phrase that somebody said that, you know, Hinduism is a way of life. And when you say a way of life, it's not my life only. You know? mm -hmm. Hinduism is a way of life as in our life connected with the life that is around us mm -hmm. and connected to the very earth like the, as a geocultural entity as you say that collect, connected to the entire thing right and I want to through my stories bring about that aspect of that unity of life that whatever I am doing is not in isolation whatever I am doing has got a larger impact on society or the society or nature itself is influencing what I am. It, it kind of goes both ways. So that is something that I personally believe in and try to put it both in my writing that we cannot consider, like, consider ourselves as isolated individuals in this entire Like all the events that happen in the story, they are all, um, uh, like the way I try to portray them is that individuals are caught in this mesh of their own actions and ambitions of the wider society that they're a part of and the larger you know the natural uh, canvas that the entire thing is kind of played out and together you find the kind of go towards the conclusion of uh, like whatever the narrative uh, wherever the narrative takes you so that is something that i strongly believe in I, I kind of have that point of view that you know like this uh, universal way of looking at life that is not me-centric, uh, what, we, what we call ahamkar, right? That universal way that, okay, we are all connected as a larger whole. I think that is a message that the world needs to hear. Mm -hmm. that, you know, the other side of, uh, you know, what we call about, you know, consumerism or self-centric or when we talk about things like, okay, um, that's ego-driven culture. I think the alternative way of looking at things and the, the, in the Indic perspective, this has been uh, shown repeatedly again and again that when people don't live in harmony with the larger whole, uh, Lakshmi or Shri, uh, as I say, the uh, fortune deserves that person. It has, the story is there again and again. 
and this is something that i want to kind of tap into because i don't think such kind of stories are written uh, at least i haven't come across a lot of those uh, those kind of original stories written uh, in the modern era like we have had uh, translations of puranas we have had a lot of uh, you know historical retellings of this uh, but this ideology or this way of thought of me as a part of a universal whole that is something that i strongly believe in and i want to take that message outside also mm-hmm. that's the prime reason you know that <laughs> you are not alone you are connected to everybody and harmony is about you know like life is about finding that harmony with your surroundings with your larger world i think this kind of feeds into a lot of relevant things you know like when people talk about that feeling of envy that if uh, that they have in the modern uh, right that feeling of loneliness that uh, when we talk about these practical things like the climate change and everything mm-hmm. um, these are these are things that uh, from an indic perspective uh, if we if we adopt it naturally these are things that can be solved you know like you will not feel lonely if you feel that you no know, my life is not just my own but it's kind of connected to the larger system you know? my life is not just connected to human beings but also to other species plants like the like the general uh, balance of uh, the planet so mm-hmm. that's something that i like you know the first story is specifically about that that yes. you know like having the larger uh, you know the larger connectivity and what happens when you ignore that mm-hmm. the tree deserts you mm-hmm. that is something that i wanted to talk about mm-hmm. and makes sense i think um what you're describing i see um overlap with a lot of yoga philosophy as well the interconnectedness and how we're all yeah. part of prakriti and we each each of us has a as a role to play uh exactly. which brings me to the next question in terms of what each of us has a role to play is um some of the favorite characters and how you arrive at naming them so um in terms of role playing even the drum that you mentioned in the for the one of the stories has a role right um yeah. so and how anyway so i will let you talk about that instead of uh, giving it away <laughs> so i am really horrible at naming things <laughs> this so uh, when i actually uh, i tend to think too much when i'm trying to name something you know and then it becomes really complex and obtuse so <laughs> while right while actually naming uh, stuff in the book and all, all of that i try to be as simple as possible and sometimes try to be as literal as possible so the drum as you say is buddhi it means intelligence and it is literally the drum of intelligence when you somebody is beating it <laughs> your brain should start working so that was uh, like i used that as a metaphor for the thing that sometimes it needs a very loud sound or like bhagat singh said like you know like in order to make deaf people hear you need the explosion and there is that uh, you know, you know uh, there is that uh, element to the naming of that drum also uh, but for all other cases i try to stick to as basic as possible uh, my favorite story out of all of these is a story called uh, the path of a coward and the protagonist there is uh, simply called ramlal because that's like the most generic name i could name. find out mm-hmm. yeah it 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 was literally the most generic name that i could find out once the like i did actually uh, search for a lot of like you know random telephone dictionaries and all of that to kind of get to like okay what is literally the most common name in india i want to use that right and that's why i use ramlal because that story is independent of 
who that character is. It is about transformation of somebody. So that's how I kind of look at these things. Mm -hmm. So um, can you talk about a couple of characters? You talked about Ramlal. You've talked about your favorite story, but not necessarily Ramlal, right? Being a favorite character. Can you talk a little bit about that? And um, again, without giving away too much of the content. Okay. Um, so, um, yeah, so let, let me tell you this. So, uh, there is one uh, singer uh -huh. in, in one of the stories. Uh, it's called the One Penny King. And that singer is trying to recreate a miracle in the worst possible circumstances that you can uh, have. And the entire story is uh, a reflection on uh, why you even need to perform that miracle, you know, and uh, what happens after the miracle. Like, that's probably the story. And the, um, the twist, uh, so as to come, is something that is completely unrelated to the entire uh, exercise. But as with all the rest of the stories, it involves transformation of one character to something different. So mm -hmm. that's something that like that character I really like because uh, I really like uh, when people try to attend miracles. I think that's one of the things that makes us human, you know, that when you look at uh, things and say that, okay, this sounds impossible, but there is this one guy who will try to do it. You know? And those are the interesting guys, the guys who kind of stand out from that, you know, people who have that passion that they know that you know, this is probably impossible, need a miracle to do it, but why not try it? Um, that is something that fascinates me. So that story is about that particular character. Mm -hmm. um, there is one uh, one interpretation that I love doing. Uh, that was the character Chanakya in one of the stories. Yes. Um, he is very well known. Right? Uh, so I am a very, very big fan of uh, the original Chanakya serial that uh, came in. I think it's being retranspired into English now. So, I, uh, I personally loved that uh, serial, but, and this was like, you know, my attempt at portraying the character of Chanakya. So it had probably like uh, some elements of the televised Chanakya character also, but I have tried my best to put in my own uh, thoughts and my own perspectives to it. And uh, I think it came out well, like, like that's the story, uh, like whoever has uh, read my book, that's the story that most people say that, oh, this is, uh, you know, the most cinematic of all the... Same for me, right. I would say that <laughs> also. I could visualize it, but probably because we've been conditioned to kind of um, see it and perceive it on television first. So maybe yeah, that has something to do with it. Right. Probably. Probably. So are any of the characters, do some of, any of these characters just still stay with you? Like they just won't leave? And, I, and this, this question comes from uh, something that some other authors have said. Like some characters, just they just don't leave you. So, are you experiencing anything like that? Yeah, like it's not leaving me. Um, I, uh, as I said, like uh, so, Ramlal, the character in the Path of the Coward. So that's so that's a story that is uh, set in the partition era, and some of the questions uh, he uh, struggles with and the transformation he undergoes, I find that very, very relevant at this day. And once I have written that story, once I had written that story, I went back to that story 
10 number of times, you know, because every time I got confronted with the same questions that Ramlal was confronted with, I wanted to write a different reaction to them. You know? And then I said that no, this is, this is cheating because uh, I am then uh, kind of uh, putting forth what my current state and converting Ramlal into that person. You know, Ramlal is not a proxy for me. So Ramlal stayed how he was written a um, couple of years ago. Uh, now when I look back, you know that okay, this guy is a distinct character who has got thoughts which are different from the thoughts I have. And that is something that is so personal. And because I had that experience, that okay, I, I had that in my power to kind of change the words that he was saying, but I did not. I want I could have changed the actions that he was doing. I could not because you know I felt that okay, this is this is the real character and it's cheating to him, you know, to change it. And I never felt that with any other character. The story, maybe because they are uh, removed uh, from the time, uh, and partition is something very personal to me because uh, both sides of my family are originally from uh, what is present Bangladesh, and my uh, father's family had to kind of come here during partition and all that uh, that that period. So it's it's something like that period is very personal to me. Mm -hmm. And when I was writing that, I was going through a lot of emotions. You know? Like I was kind of thinking, like, what would be my grandfather thinking? Because he also had to take this journey during uh, this uh, partition and all that hellscape that was there. You know, what kind of uh, man did it turn out to be, and how much of that was influenced by the brutality and the sheer unfairness of what unfolded around him. You know, these are questions that are very, very relevant to me because they are directly in my family. Mm -hmm. And that is why I did not want Ramlal to be my reflection. I wanted him to become a character of his own. And now uh, when I uh, look back, I, I kind of sometimes think that, okay, this is, this is how Ramlal would have reacted. You know? And these are the points where Ramlal changed and you know, his metamorphosis happened. Um, and I get concerned, I said, okay, these are the times where my point of view sometimes changed. Or these are the times where I was confronted with the same thing that Ramlal confronted, but my perspective did not change, but Ramlal's did. So it's 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 kind of very very personal yet distinct. So that's why like Ramlal is probably my favorite character. Yeah, stay. Yeah, he stayed with you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the decision to write the book. Could you describe your journey, please? Yeah. So um, I. I believe in the power of stories. I believe that uh, you know one of the most effective means of transmitting information uh, is through stories, and that holds true across mediums, right? Um, in academia, or uh, while we are uh, you know learning, or while culture is being transmitted in the professional field, while you are trying to explain uh, concepts and everything, um, it like. I believe that when you tell it in the form of a story, as a narrative, and when people buy into that particular narrative, that information kind of stays with them forever. And I always prided myself on being able to tell stories at the top of my head. Like, you know, I'll, I'll sit, like, I'll talk with somebody and then I'll tell them, oh, you don't know, like, this is something I'm, you know, uh, kind of give facts in the way of stories. And what I started doing, because I read so much, I started to, uh, no, like when I actually had some really interesting conversations and story points, 
I used to kind of uh, put those in scraps of paper and later on on Google Docs. And there would be just like three words, four words kind of thing. And this was before Twitter and social media came in. And then when I kind of look back at those, I would start, oh, this is really interesting thought. Those thoughts would be so basic as something said like, uh, you know, this person going somewhere, colon, uh, rain, colon, uh, you know, lonely tree below the, it, it would be something as basic as that, but that would keep an image in my mind and I would start writing. You know, and then I would write for around the 300, 500 words that describing that scene and then I would leave. You know? And then I would tell another story and something like that will happen and I said, oh, this is something that uh, is, uh, what can I say, that can have a link to that previous thought that I had and I'll open the Google Doc and start writing it. And slowly I started to realize that, okay, I have the beginnings of these stories, why not write a book? And it was a very scary thought because uh, it meant a lot of commitment and it, I had a lot of self-doubt about whether I would be able to complete any of these stories, right? Uh, and then once I wrote the first story, I said, okay, this is something interesting, I will try the second one. And then I wrote two stories and then I didn't write a single word for the next two years. <laughs> and then it and then it kind of came back to me sometime and I got that inspiration and then I started to write the third one. And I said, I, I, I was uh, telling somebody else that I committed every mistake that a writing coach can uh, talk, you know, I was not regular, I did not have plot points thought out, I did not even know where the particular sentence is going to end, you know, I was writing purely based on inspiration and that inspiration came from very weird, weird places, you know, there was a time that like some of the times I would read something on uh, social media or I will see a piece of news and I'll get so angry that I would go and start writing it and sometimes I would be so happy that I wanted to share something, but uh, you know, like uh, I could not for whatever reason. And then I would say, okay, let me just put this out in the form of stories. And all of these stories, they kind of develop like checker boxes. You know, it was not like, okay, well, I've finished one story and it's done, right? I write one story and then open something else and write the end of a particular story. Like this is how I want it to end. And then kind of come back to the middle of something else and then start something else. And that's how it happened. And it's, it's horrible advice to give to anybody to write a book probably, but I am being as honest as possible. Like this is how literally it happened. And, and uh, there were stories that I could not complete. Like Sukhudar was originally supposed to have an eighth story, a seven in it, but the eighth story I could not complete. It became so nihilistic that I said the book does not belong to this particular book. And I kind of uh, kept it in my drafts. I did not go ahead with that particular story. But one interesting thing I will tell you, and uh, this is very, uh, again, a very personal story. Um, three years ago, uh, again, I was going through this huge writer's block and writing this book by that time was a definite idea. It was at the back of my head, but I was not able to do it. I was not able to complete a story or, you know, it, it just felt like when I was looking at an empty sheet, I felt like, okay, I have to fill it up with words and I know what the story is in three words. Mm -hmm. But how can I make a X thousand words uh, stories out of mm -hmm. it? Mm -hmm. Story out of it, you know. I was coming with that, and I am not a super religious person or, a, or, or somebody who does a lot of pujas and all of that. But I was reading uh, a Bengali uh, book by Michael Mathurin, and he had this very beautiful Saraswati 
I'm not like a super religious person, as I said before. Just the very act of writing those, just the very act of uh, you know um, dedicating myself to like dedicating my success to the kripa of uh, Devi Saraswati, uh -huh. and uh, saying that all success and uh, everything in the world belongs to Shiva and united with Shakti. Just writing those words. Gave me a lot of what can I say? Uh, it changed something within me, you know. Mm. And I can't still put my hands on what that is, you know. But it gave me some sort of confidence that yes, this will get finished someday, you know. I see. And, and that kept me going. That kept me going to such an extent that, uh, after, like last year, I actually uh, quit my job in order to finish this book. Because that's how important that is, and maybe it is because I wrote those words that propelled me to it, or maybe it was something else. I cannot say that, but uh, this is reality. That <laughs> that uh, once this book became a living thing, which is residing in my head, after a certain point, it became too overpowering, and mm -hmm. I had to kind of uh, you know take steps, so to speak. Uh huh. Justice to the entire world. So that's how the the journey, you know, and it is it it is filled with so many mistakes when I look back at it. But it is also my own journey, right? So for me, it is personally very satisfying. And today I cannot imagine not taking that journey. Mm -hmm. I probably would never even have realized what I have missed out if mm -hmm. I hadn't made that journey. And mm -hmm. I, yeah, I, I I believe that this book was in that case meant to be written by me, uh -huh. and whatever happened kind of propelled it in that direction. So that's how I am looking at it. Mm -hmm. So we know that it started out with a few words here and there, and on a Google Doc, um, and then you know full fledged dedication in terms of quitting a job to, to taking up this project <laughs> full time. So how long did it take to write the book? So. <laughs> So I'll tell you something. Um, the kernel of that uh, the story called uh, Path of the Coward, mm -hmm. like the story with Ramla, the kernel of that story is probably in my uh, one of my uh, school magazines. Okay, so that's how far uh, ago I was thinking of partition and about a person called Ramla. Um, if you look at it in the sense that the book is in the current form, I think it took the better part of a decade with on and off, you know, there were, uh, as I said, there were a couple of year long writing hiatuses and uh, epic month long writers blocks and all of that. But I kept plugging at it for the better part of a decade. Um, but the meat of the book was uh, completed uh, in three months actually 
once I quit my job and before I actually uh, took up my uh, next thing. Like I uh, had uh, promised myself that I'll not play another video game until I finish the first draft of the manuscript. So <laughs> I kind of, uh, like after uh, quitting, I kind of uh, worked on it like a maniac. Okay. End to end. And I, I have realized like that's the best way I work when there is nothing else to distract me and you know, like just focus on that one thing. Mm-hmm. And then I could sustain, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, I can tell you the joy, the pure anand that I felt when I wrote that, like when I finished that manuscript and I, uh, you know, saved my Word doc and uh, converted it into a PDF. And then I looked at the front page, like, okay, this is the first like version 0.1 of the manuscript. It is indescribable. It is like, it, it is the happiness that kind of comes out from, you know, truly knowing that, okay, I have created this. It might be ugly. It might be filled with mistakes. It might not be the best baby there, but it is your baby. And it, it, it was, it was, as I said, it was pure Anand at that point. And I still know, like I was messaging all my friends and well, yeah, I completed the manuscript. And then and it was like 4, 4 a.m. in the morning or something like that. And I still had the sense to kind of uh, not wake anybody up by calling. I woke up my wife and like, listen, listen, I've completed it. <laughs> so, so, so that's how it happened. That's amazing. Um, I, not to take away from any of this, and I'm nowhere close to um, being like you in terms of having a book out. But when I finished my manuscript, it was like 2.30 p.m., Self-isolation. I couldn't even go out to celebrate. I'm like, I'm done. The only thing I could do is WhatsApp people and be like, I'm done. And they're like, thumbs up. So um, it's it's anticlimactic for me. But this this, is amazing to finish something, right? So I can relate. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. Good. Okay. So shifting focus a little bit, let's talk about imagery. Like I could imagine and visualize so many different things. Like we talk about the, the, the Chanakya story, right? So how do you describe the imagery that is utilized in your writing? Did you grow up with these stories, which we know, yes and no, um, but was there any outside research needed? There's a lot of influences. Um, as I said, like we are, none of us are like individuals in the truest sense. We're all connected to the culture we're brought up with, the media we consume, the books we read, like that kind of thing, right? And I uh, read a lot and I read a lot of the right things. Um, like uh, from uh, academic papers to uh, like books from across the world to manga and anime, uh, Russian literature, like it, it had a lot of influences mm-hmm. and also as a part of video games, right? That mm-hmm. video games are a super, super visual medium. And a lot of these stories started out as a visual in my mind. Mm-hmm. I said like, you know, as I said before that I used to write down those two, three words described it does it always described like i always try to describe to me what i saw visually like what i imagined visually and try to take the story from there you know like when i talk about any of these characters i can actually see their faces you know, because i have thought of them as distinct like i have kind of seen them or constructed them as you probably do in a 3d modeling software uh, as distinct things you know that are in a particular setting and in a particular place. And the influences have been numerous, like uh, uh, Nikolai Gogol, uh, Dead Souls, uh, 
definitely has been a huge, huge influence on me. Uh, like all his work, basically, the great quote, the painter, all, all his work, government inspector, I, I absolutely adore that man. Um, then there's a lot of wonderful literature that I have grown up with. Uh, and one of the great things about living in this era of information technology is now things are so easily available, which is not so for our predecessors. You know, uh, last year, or not last year, the year before that, I discovered the work of uh, Kalki, the Pernil writer. And uh, the first time I read uh, Pony Selvan and uh, Sivakami Satatam, it blew my mind away. Like, here is this amazing literature available, and I had no idea about it until uh, a Kindle recommendation brought up that name, and just by uh, curiosity, I clicked on it, and now this entire new world has opened up. And uh, that kind of became an influence for me. Um, historical fiction by Shorobindu, uh, who is uh, hugely, hugely, uh, like most people know him as a creator of Bokesh Bokshi, but uh, he also wrote these really lovely uh, uh, Bengali historical uh, novels. And the language he used there is, uh, is at another level, you know, and uh, something that uh, inspired me massively. But the single biggest influence, I would say, and uh, this is something that I wrote uh, in my acknowledgments also, is probably uh, a book called Raj Kahini by Abhinindranath Thakur. He was the younger brother of uh, Rabindranath Thakur. And uh, Raj Kahini is a series of tales uh, set in uh, medieval Mewar. Uh, Raj Kahini is Rajputana's Kahini, basically. And those stories, and I read, read them when I was in class five or class six, and those stories um, was what got me interested in history, you know? Mm -hmm. And his, like, it literally, like, I, I think a lot of my own personal writing style is influenced by him because uh, those stories are also very, very visual and very, very, uh, you know, even uh, like, the drama that he kind of brought out uh, from these characters and from situations, it's its something that, uh, you know, gets the blood boiling, so to speak. So that's probably my single biggest influence in terms of fiction. Uh, mm. In terms of certain uh, visual cues that I take, uh, definitely, uh, you know, uh, certain mangas that I have read, uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, all of those really, really cool ones. Um, they have also influenced me and uh, kind of, uh, I'm a big, big fan of uh, Japanese uh, manga and cinema in general. So that has been, a, I'm, I'm pretty sure that there is some level of influence of the, those styles that uh, permeate in, uh, in my work. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. So um, a question and I'm, I'm saying, quote, fires of a ghee fed altar, end quote how does this come to you? And I ask this for um, the purpose that we are all, many of us are multilingual. How does this come to you? Does it come to you in another language? How do you see this and visualize this and put it in writing and give it words? Yeah, so um, <laughs> um, it is, um, so when I write in English, mm -hmm. I think in English. Okay. When I write in, my, my mother tongue is Bengal. When I write in Bengali, I think in Bengal. So uh, I probably can uh, think on um, like both of these languages that I'm comfortable in. So uh, when I come up with specific phrases like this, 
they are normally descriptive of, as I said, like what I imagine. So when you, when I say, uh, like I, I mentioned previously, like you know, I'm kind of modeling these things in my mind. So that fire is a Gifed altars fire. It's not just any fire. It is not just any altar. It has to be like that. And this is something that uh, we do a lot in our industry when we talk about concept arts and everything. Like when we say uh, we have to uh, conceptualize as a, a fire, mm. you know? we don't just say that, okay, it's just a fire because then that would be boring, right? How do we give that personality? Mm. So you have to add these layers to it. And then you kind of say, like when you say that, you know, when you actually say alter, you have a specific image in your mind. When you use the word key, uh, you will remember that smell of what that thing kind of is, you know? And then that qualifies the fire, that this is the fire which is, you know, in such a setting and the atmosphere is that, you know, that it has got some, some of those uh, elements to it. So that's how I think it's, mm-hmm. a, it, it, it's, it's a description of what I see in my mind. That's how I think. It's beautifully written, by the way. We're again speaking with Ratul Chakraborty, and he is the author of Sutradhar. Next question. So after going through your book, I also feel that there's a poet somewhere in you. And you also mentioned composing these vandanas. So talk a little bit about that. Do you think you would explore the skill further? Is this something that needs to come out? No. So the poetry in that book is by necessity. You know? As I said, like I look at myself as a storyteller. And when you look, when you hear actual storytellers, it's not just a monotone of prose. You know, they say something, and uh, then there will be a bit of uh, song and dance in the middle, and then you kind of go ahead. And I wanted to capture that feeling. You know? um, uh, I don't know if you have heard uh, any of these Pandavani singers, these wandering itinerants who actually sing about Mahabharata. And it's a very, very, uh, it, it, you should uh, look it up. It's, it's a very, very cool uh, art form mm-hmm. where uh, this entire troop uh, goes around and they keep talking about the uh, stories from Mahabharata. And they, and they have this really, really interesting style where there is one main narrator and he or she is backed up by uh, a bunch of other vocalists and instrumentalists. And the story is told in the form of a conversation that uh, happens between the main uh, narrator, his or her background, and the audience. And the story is then told in uh, both in verse and in prose and in songs. And it's like a whole, you cannot separate out any of those and say, okay, I like the song parts. But the entire thing is one whole experience. And uh, this is something that I have found out uh, common across storytelling cultures. Uh, even the Greeks, they had this particular this thing where they would talk and then there would be interludes where, you know, uh, there will be poetry in between where they would try to either uh, reinforce a particular point or change the scene or whatever. Uh, it is present in, uh, in, in, in a lot of modern storytelling cultures also. Um, a big example would be your cinema. Like mm-hmm. there are songs and dances, and, and and I wanted to kind of capture that, that it's not just one long narration. I want my stories to be read uh, in the form of these storytelling sessions mm-hmm. that has got all of these elements to it. Uh, one interesting thing I can share with you is, uh, no, because uh, 
I come from a video game background, uh, we uh, have something called as uh, narrative flows that we kind of uh, plot out different plot points and see how to kind of bring up the dramatic tension, how to kind of get it down and, you know, what we call breaks in the activity chain. Like, you know, how do we make the player to do something different and then kind of go back to the main narrative and all of that. You know? And that's something that I, I always enjoy doing because uh, I feel that having those little, little changes of pieces actually uh, accentuates the larger action a lot more. So that's something that I also wanted to achieve with those short films and all. So no, I, like I would probably never uh, write a book of poems or anything because I don't think uh, I am that good <laughs> that way. I think the poems and all of those are by necessity of the particular type of atmosphere I am trying to generate in the context of these stories. I see. So for me, those those were kind of the linkages that you see in between the pearls. So those I see yeah. that as a connection. That, that that's the sutra. Yeah. I, I according to me, reading a book as an yeah. as an outside person. So that's very interesting. Um, good. Another question um, I have is, what advice would you give to people who would want to take up this project? And I and there's a caveat to this question. Um, I've I've met a lot of authors who say make writing a plan B, like have a full-time job, but then, uh, you know, so don't basically major in writing <laughs> to have this as a side thing. So how does a person combine their passion for writing um, and possibly make it into a career? What do you think? Yeah, um, that's a very interesting and as a practical answer would be that, yes, you need to make it a plan B because uh, other folks are dependent on you. Like if you have a family, if you have, if you have to pay the bills, um, then uh, the reality is that you need uh, some sort of economic security to do that, right? And the thing with writing is that nobody forces anybody to be a writer. Um, you have to have that urge to kind of do it. And it is really difficult. Like at least that is what I have felt. Um, I, I was very, very close, as I spoke before, like I was very, very close to even saying that, okay, uh, you know, I don't know when I'll be able to complete this. I don't know when I'll be able to uh, do something like this. And the kind of person that I am, mm -hmm. um, I am not very, very suited to having this, okay, I have two hours for writing every day and every day I will write 300 words. Um, I am not a person like that. Uh, I cannot function that way. My thoughts don't flow that way. So I am a slave to inspiration. And when that inspiration doesn't come, and very often, most often it doesn't come, um, I'm not writing. So uh, that's the most horrible way of probably approaching a book. So my advice is not to do as I did. Uh, but one thing I would say is uh, when I took that plunge, uh, I'm gonna, quit my job and finish this thing. That is something that, uh, you know, like when you are fighting with your back against the wall and if you are not doing this, you don't have anything else. For somebody like me who was procrastinating endlessly, who kind of doing this and who was, uh, you know, not writing in uh, terms of like, uh, you know, as a regular practice, Mm -hmm. And as I said, a slave to inspiration. 
once my back was against the wall and i knew that okay i did not i do not have anything else i have to write this book no matter what because now literally i have run out of excuses to not complete it mm-hmm. um that was the point where i could focus mm-hmm. and uh, that was the point where uh, the book took shape um, so is that something that uh, somebody else should be doing that would depend upon their uh, you know a uh, family and economic situation uh, i knew that i had a window of a certain number of months within mm-hmm. which i could make this work mm-hmm. and if i could not then i had to go back uh, like i would have failed and i would have to go back to my uh, like you know go back to my career uh, once more um i was lucky because i was in that position mm-hmm. and i understand a lot of people are not that lucky right mm-hmm. a lot of people do not have that option so the only advice that i can give is don't let go uh, don't say that okay i'm not writing this okay keep plugging at i have to taken the major part of a decade to write this right and the only thing that i am proud of is that i did not let go yes there are so many mistakes i did there like crazy things i did but the one advice that i can genuinely give that i think has uh, made so that is reality is that i did not succumb to that desperation that this is not going to happen mm. okay keep like my advice would be to keep plugging at it and get to the point where either over a course of time you are able to write that or you are able to plan out a sabbatical or something like that to kind mm-hmm. of finish this because leaving everything and uh, putting your economic and uh, family reality at risk is not something that i can recommend mm-hmm. um that is like like i believe in taking up those responsibilities as the primary uh, like as a primary driver of why you do certain things mm-hmm. uh, so that is something i'll never recommend unless you are really sure and unless you have that uh, landing pad so as to speak um so don't give up like literally like don't give up and the other thing that i would like to say is uh, interact with other writers mm-hmm. i think interact with people who encourage you to do this you know if you say that uh, if you tell somebody that you know i was writing this story and you uh, tell that story to him or her and she says uh, he or she says that oh you know you must tell me what happens next i think that is really really motivating and i had a few friends amongst uh, Uh, i had a few friends with whom i could do that uh-huh. when i shared one of those stories they were like when are you writing the next one and they would then uh, call me up or message me like when are you sending me the next story and that created obligation on my part that oh i need to write this because at least there is one person who is waiting for that right yes and i felt that that is very helpful because otherwise uh, the other thing that uh, i personally went through and i know a lot of i don't know like whether a lot of other people uh, go through that is the sense of imposter syndrome you know that whatever i am writing is this garbage you know <laughs> will anybody ever read it you know i i talk so much high fi things about ideology and everything what happens if everybody thinks that this is rubbish and those are the moments when your pen stops because then and i tell you like after the initial relief of completing the manuscript this was what hit me that i have completed a book 
oh my god nobody is ever going to read this and people will hate this like that struck me so hard <laughs> and that is when it is important to have people with whom you can share your work until it gets a general because uh, one of the things with uh, again that i and uh, you as a writer are uh, rejections where i <laughs> sent out a manuscript and then there would be this uh, like half of the time i won't even get a reply and sometimes a reply would come saying that okay the work is interesting but we cannot publish it because of blah 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 and so, not at this time <laughs> something like yeah. yes we've all received yeah. those yes yes so uh, so um, it is a bit uh, like those are the times where you need support system where you need friends and family who can uh, you know uh, keep you going and keep you kind of uh, and you know those recalling those emotions that you that you had to endure when you were writing this and when you kind of say that oh this was the joy i felt when i completed the story this was the unhappiness i i felt when i killed off that particular character like recounting those i think that gives you strength to kind of keep plugging at it so that so so, so those are my key things you know like it is a very very personal thing you know like i don't know what career writers i have this is like my first uh, like the first time i'm doing something like this right so it has been a passion project and a passion project only fructifies when the passion is kept alive mm. so the my only advice is keep the passion alive do whatever you can but don't let that light die right? and all all the things that i said were all uh, things that support your passion you know your friends will support your passion your passion your family will support your passion your own uh, recollection of your own experiences will support your Mm-hmm. and that's what i think is important that what will get you past the finishing line mm-hmm. thank you for addressing that yes writing and challenges related to writing are one thing but then also getting the work out there is its own challenge so not to get discouraged by that part is just as important as is keeping the work going so thank you for addressing that um coming back to the the rejections um, portion and again we all go through this how do you handle criticism not just before when you were sending it out to publishers but um you know some people um in the in the age of social media perhaps um you know not too kind about um the work being out and i don't know if you've had sufficient time to even publicize your book in this uh yeah. this covid time but um how do you handle criticism in general yeah so um i think uh one of the things that uh really long uh, professional career uh, teaches you is having difficult conversations like when you are in a particular uh, space mm-hmm. you sometimes uh, you know uh, get used to having these conversations uh, mm-hmm. both as a manager and as somebody receiving feedback and i think uh, one of the things that i personally like uh, like how i try to kind of address this is that if a criticism is about my work then i really don't mind that much because mm-hmm. then i try to find out like okay why is somebody criticizing it is it because of a difference of opinion which is subjective or is it because of some objective failure on my part right mm-hmm. am i bad at drama mm-hmm. for example if that is a criticism then yes i have to accept it right because mm-hmm. uh, if you are bad at drama you are bad at drama you know like you have to get better at it mm-hmm. but if it is about the something like ideology or something like how i have conceived a particular story 
then I think there is then uh, an opportunity for some work. You know, you uh, debate, you have a conversation about it, and those are the things that I really enjoy because then we are actually talking about different perspectives. We are talking about uh, you know what uh, like given the same data set, how you and I are looking at it differently, and you, are, you and I are perceiving it differently. So that is really enriching. Um, if it is about uh, personal this thing, then I hit the block button. Like I don't have any. Uh, like I I am very brutal about these things. Like if somebody uh, crosses certain lines, I block. Like in social media, I I completely like I I really don't like uh, getting into uh, uh, arguments which are personal in nature. I love having arguments which are really spirited. I uh -huh. love having arguments which are uh, based upon point of views and our evaluation of either historical realities or uh, this thing and uh, sometimes uh, like i am also human right i would also say some things that i would regret later but uh, mostly i try to keep it under control mm -hmm. and uh, if it is personal then i block i don't indulge yeah. great advice Next question is, how are you handling this lockdown and self-isolation? We should mention that you are located in uh, Bangalore and I am yeah. in Houston. So uh, different types of isolations for each of us. So how are you <laughs> handling this? And in your mind, where do you think you want to go next to whenever we become quote unquote free? Um, the second part of this, of this question is really easy. I'm going to go to Kashi once more. Okay. Yes. Because uh, that's one of my favorite places on the planet. Just sitting by the Ganga and in here, yes. Just Ashwamey the cart. You will, yes. That's yeah. where I want to be. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So that so that is easy. Yeah. <laughs> Once COVID is done, I'm booking a flight there. I'm <laughs> sitting by the Ganga and just uh, chilling, so yes. to speak, enjoying mm -hmm. my chart, enjoying chart and all the Urdu. Yes. <laughs> so so that is one part of it, but. Uh, COVID has been really interesting because uh, I think people are now starting to realize how dependent people are on other people. You know? And this kind of circles back again to, to what I was talking about earlier that, you know, I think people are starting to realize that me, myself, I, that is not the full reality of their existence. Mm -hmm. In order to be, in order for you to be you, you are dependent on so many known and unknown people that numbers to thousands, you know, <laughs> and people are starting to realize that. So I think, I hope people, uh, I hope personally, if I am able to carry it forward, I don't know what people, but I am able to have that humility uh, once this is over, that uh, I am able to uh, better be aware of what I really need to survive versus what is extra. And I am in a really weird position because uh, I was in the middle of moving to Bangalore when the lockdown started. Uh, I was based in Hyderabad before and then I was moving to Bangalore. And so some of our stuff got uh, stopped at the border because, all, because of the lockdown and everything. So my house right now is pretty much empty. So I am leaving the probably one of the most basic lives I have read, uh, I, I have uh, led uh, post my uh, college hostel. So, <laughs> so that is also very interesting. 
because it kind of tells me that okay these are the things that are really necessary for me one of them is an internet connection and, you know we able to prepare food for yourself and all of that but beyond that you know i am surviving without access to my console without access to you know other things and, and all of that and that kind of tells you something you know about what is really necessary and what is really unnecessary i think the other big part has been about connecting to my family a lot more um because we are all stuck together sometimes uh, in our daily grind of office work coming back okay weekend now go uh, like you know you sometimes miss out on having uh, a lot of these normal conversations that when you actually start having for a sustained period of time you start to notice that okay even my parents have changed in front of my eyes you know like what my parents were when i was at school versus what my parents were when i was in college versus what my parents are now are different mm-hmm. and sometimes you don't notice that because you're so busy in your own life and now that you're all stuck together you're all living and you're 24 by 7 you are together to start to realize uh, oh this change has happened and i think i'm pretty sure that from my parents side also that that's coming right and to me that is one of the more interesting things about the whole covid situation mm-hmm. where this forced living with somebody else or if you are alone even that pulls up some really interesting questions you know like when do these changes happen mm-hmm. why do we miss changes like why in the course of our normal life do we miss uh, changes which are happened and then when people show their changed behavior we are shocked oh you were not like this before but something happens in front of our very eyes but we don't recognize those things right yeah and that is something that i find fascinating especially in this whole covid uh, this thing it is kind of brought out in really sharp relief so that's something that is very interesting to me i see so this is mogli and truffles they are the two rescued indies i live with nice so they have just come out <laughs> yeah they also are experiencing the lockdown i guess no going out allowed much, pretty much that uh, yeah it, it's been hard on them yes, they it's tough on them understand and uh, they had to leave their really comfortable existence in hyderabad and then suddenly they're in a new city in a new building and yes. they're not allowed to go and out quarantine. It's, it's, yes no they're yeah, beautiful yes <laughs> yes hey but at least you're not alone and you have them and they have you so that is great um just we're coming as we come to an end a couple more questions what is next for you is there more writing in you that is ready to come out what is next for you that way yeah definitely writing um now that i have the confidence that i have completed one one book absolutely so now i can actually uh, conceive of writing another one so i was actually waiting for the launch of uh, sutradhar before i actually put pen on paper but i have some really interesting thoughts on what i want to write next the other interesting thing that i am really uh, trying to figure out how to approach is uh, taking sutradhar uh, on other platforms you know uh, whether they those be audiobooks or whether those be web series or something or, yes or, or some sort i have to get adaptation mm-hmm. yeah so so that is something uh, that 
I am trying to figure out what's the right way of approaching that particular problem because it means that okay, I have to uh, talk to somebody from a completely different field, um, trying to pitch those things. I don't even know how that works. So that's something that I'm trying to figure out myself. And with that again, in uh, in video games, we have this concept called prototyping, where you write a piece, where you do something. Uh, like you do the most fundamental part of it and then you try to extrapolate it, kind of make it something bigger. And I am looking at each of these stories as prototypes. Um, and although they are like self-contained stories, they can be the nucleus of, uh, like for example, the story of uh, Chanakya and all of that, that can be a full-blown trilogy where it has an entire arc from uh, Alexander's invasion to the ascension of uh, Chandragupta Maurya. Mm -hmm. or some of the other stories can be standalone web series or something like that so those are uh, thoughts that i have i am looking for uh, the right uh, people to kind of talk to about those things and uh, something that i am really interested in but again um, those things are not completely within my hands and i believe in you know there are things that i can do myself and then there are things i'm dependent on myself right mm -hmm. so my primary focus is what I can do myself, which is write my next book. Karman Nevadikarasthi. You know, that's the only thing that I can do. So, I, so uh, the book will happen no matter what. Mm -hmm. um, these other things are then dependent upon, uh, you know, happy accidents and, uh, you know, if, uh, if, that, if a certain kind of collaboration is possible, then it will go ahead. I see. Very good. Um, and I wish you luck with that because I think this would be amazing, especially for the youth who see some of these things as cool, but then sometimes it's not yeah. exactly accessible. Um, so this, this, that you connect the dots. So this is amazing. So final question, how can listeners and readers get access to your book? What are some oh, ways you can order it in these times? Yes. <laughs> So the book is out on most digital platforms. It is there on Kindle, it is there on uh, Google Playbooks, uh, it is there on uh, iBooks also. Um, the physical copies would be available after the lockdown is done, right? So you can't really deliver the physical copies at this point. Um, although that is a paperback edition is already planned. But the digital copies are available right now. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you, Ratul. Thank you for your time. Any any final and I know concluding thoughts before we formally end this this uh, wonderful exchange. Um, no, thank you so much for having me. It was great to talk to you, and I really hope uh, you know I would love to hear what people think about my particular work. As I said before, I don't mind criticism as long as they are that way. But what I'm more in, most interested is in dialogue. I love talking to you know, people about these kind of topics, about these kind of things. And I welcome different perspectives. So I am looking forward to that. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, and good luck. Thank Thanks. you so much. Thank